0: Take a break watch
1: days, no not Welcome, welcome, welcome to this. We're finally dug out of the snow edition of the South Dakota Game Fish and Parks Podcast and Blast. I'm your host, communications specialist, Chris Hull out of Pier. Um, if you're like many people that I've been talking to they're already sick of winter. Um, we got punched in the nose early. Um, seems like we got a little respite, uh, except for our folks in the southeast corner, and I hope you're doing okay and you're all snow blowed out and dug out. But uh, winter came and uh, came with a pretty good force in some places in western and central South Dakota that we maybe normally don't see that. So it's been an interesting um, December. hope everybody had a great holiday but it's been an interesting December. Um, some places, you know, pier got a ton of snow, but, uh, it seems like, uh, the ice fishing has been good. Ice fishing has been accessible. Um, you know, there's a little worry about some of the critters, the pheasants and deer, and we'll maybe talk about that next week, uh, with some of our wildlife folks. But, uh, people I talk to all seem to have a little bit of cabin fever and they're wondering what they can do. And, and, uh, besides ice fishing um or cross-country skiing or snowshoeing but uh got a cool guest today uh clint whitley out of the rapid city outdoor Campus. he's going to talk about some of the classes and stuff that he does uh with hunting 101 and fishing 101 um classes that are really cool i'm not going to get into it i'm going to let him talk because his passion overruns everything and then went to the opposite corner of the state and talked to Conservation Officer Austin Norton about what game wardens do in the winter and what their days look like and, and just some kind of some interesting stuff from Austin about being a part of the community and what goes into being a CO and, and good stuff. Even tells one funny story about a case that he made. But uh, hope you enjoy it and uh, take a listen. And... Uh... Probably my
0: goal it's another long day. Very short life it's another long day. All right,
1: I'm here with uh, my man Clint. Clint, tell the folks uh, who you are and where you're at.
2: My name's Clint Whitley. I am a naturalist. Here at the Rapid City Outdoor Campus, and I have been running a hunter, a supported hunter program, uh, but now it's become a, a, a sports a supported sportsman's program. Right, that's <laughs> called our, our 101 programs.
1: And and we were just talking uh, off camera. Um, you're a naturalist, but that doesn't quite fit. And you were telling me about the these one on one programs. I got the opportunity to help with the fishing one oh one program here in Pier, and and it's amazing how you can connect with people. Explain explain to our listeners what these one oh one programs are.
2: So Let's just start with a fishing one. Just the fishing one oh one. Well, you pick the one that I haven't done yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> how about the one that's polished and Perfect. Uh, start all right, with that we're one. gonna do the one that's polished and we're <laughs> right. we're expanding the program. Right. But um back in the day i, I was an intern at sioux falls 2008 uh we did a lot of one and done programs same thing with rapid here did a lot of one and done programs and you see some people and out the door they go it's like oh i think we think we got an angler i think we got somebody that uh, and you don't see them again or they come to another program and so on this program is designed to, to create relationships and create support um and, and that's not all just with me uh because i'm gonna i gotta move on to the next people we've got right. mentors that are connecting and then i have a big goal of, of connecting my existing participants together there, there's a alumni facebook group that is connected and they all contribute and talk and i'm now out of the picture so um in this hunting 101 program i am teaching them everything from here's a gun how to hold it all the way to here is a deer how to shoot it and process it And everything in between. So we start with a meet and greet where we're going to share a wild game meal. They're going to get that sense of, oh, this is good. This tastes good. I could eat this. Um, And then we dive down the uh, North American model of wildlife conservation. That is something I think everybody should know about. Every hunter should know about. Uh, I want people to know how uh, these Game Fish and Parks and our programs are funded, so we learn about Pittman-Robertson and and Dingle-Johnson. And then we we learn about some ethics and morals and those discussions of what it means to be a hunter and those decisions a hunter makes. Uh, and and then we do a little species identification. We do a, a gear pack dump to understand what's what we're taking along with us. A lot of participants are wondering. They don't have an idea of what to even expect. They said, I've never even watched a hunting show in my life. I don't even know what to expect. It's like, perfect, don't watch a show. Let's just go hunting. Exactly. Let <laughs> that that uh, determine what your, your experience is. And then we go, and uh, I send them off with some homework. I have them do their hunter safety online, and they come back, And we do all the hands on portion, just like our typical field days. So we'll do a, um, the fence crossing the loading unloading learn play with the actions uh then we do some pretty extensive shot placement and target target acquisition practice looking down a scoped rifle um throwing a i throw a brass across the room let it ting along the floor it's like okay there it is turn their scope up to 12s. So like find it and just help practice in a time setting a less and not time setting uh so getting all that practice we do a blood trail right there just all the discussion around the possibilities of what could happen then we do a scouting trip where we'll take them out and we'll set a trail camera uh we may meet a landowner in that setting uh we'll try and meet one later uh we will uh sit on a hillside and say this is a spot i would sit this is a spot i would walk this is a spot i would um look for sign here's rubs here's this that so we're just doing everything to say um Okay, we're in the field. What would we do? Then we go on to a range day. So we go out, you got to spend some time shooting, uh, spend some time with some 22s. Uh, We use suppressed rifles. And I tell you what, that was one of the best purchases I've made for this program is removing all of those scary things of a gun, the big bang. Uh, And so we've got some really good success with people using suppressed rifles. Uh, We get that practice, and then we have them shoot in unsuppressed because that's most likely what 99% of these hunters are going to use. After that, we start scheduling with landowners and participants to go on a supported hunt. We've got a lot of properties where uh, landowners have either deer depredation issues or they uh, just want to have new hunters come. And when we talk about new hunters and these participants, this is not kids, not necessarily kids. Right, uh, they need to be 12 and older to be in my program. And when they want to sign their kid up to be a part of this program, I say, "Nope, you and your kid." This we are we are focused on uh, getting a hold of uh, and targeting the whole family. So I get yep. mom and dad. And right now, up in our education building, there's a mom with her two kids there processing a deer with one of my interns. Yeah, so that's they are. Um, doing that as a family unit and then you get a lot of 30 some year olds 20 some year olds uh those people that that are um really trying to to figure out where they fit in their outdoor piece and that's the cool thing about the r3 stuff that that we found out is that's the target audience the those uh moms and young adults trying to figure it yeah. out so after the hunt we got to process the thing Uh we all know that game processors are are Not readily always available. Um, It's expensive. Uh, Most people want to see where their meat goes and comes from. Uh, So so we teach them how to break it down, break it down all the way to uh, packaging. And I'll send the grinder home with them because that gets to be a long day, and they'll grind that up and uh, and so on. So after that, they've they've kind of graduated from hunting 101, and it goes even a step further. The following year, I sent them an email. Hey, you want to be a part of hunting 201? and I will it's more of a consultant base I meet them once during that June time when they can apply for big game tags and they will sit there and we'll dive down this is how you read deer statistics uh tag statistics and here's a map and some access this is how we can figure out where to hunt you have to go find your own place to hunt and recreate now um so I help kind of break down some of those those barriers uh so then they've busted out their credit card right there. Some of them, uh, and like, okay, I'm ready. I'm gonna buy this tag. I think that based on what I find here, I got. I know I got a plan for the following year. And then from there on, it's just some one-on-ones with with people of, hey, I got a question? Hey, what do you think about this spot? Hey, what do you? Uh, or or they ask a mentor. Say, um, or I've gone gun shopping with them after that. Say, so I don't really know what to what to really buy. They walk into a gun store and it's intimidating. They're sure. a minority female. And they do not feel uh, welcome there in in the gun store. So um, we will take them in there and they're like, oh, this is it's not so bad. It's like looking right. at golf clubs for me. I don't have a clue what right. I'm looking at. But walking in there and they get some comfort. So that's the entire gamut of Hunting 101 and Tunning 201. Uh, the other 101s that we have going are a little more condensed and not quite as, as thorough. But Hunting 101 is around guns and, and pretty needs to be pretty intense.
1: Yeah. I, I, like I said earlier, I got to do a, a, a fishing one-on-one, but I also hosted now two years. We've hosted down on my place, South of Draper that like a, a hunting one-on-one where it was, you know, designed on pheasant hunting. And we spend a lot of time, whether it's a hunting one-on-one group or just a regular group talking about, you know, safety and stuff, but also talking about why we really do it as, as hunters. You know the the harvesting is is a part of it, and and the younger you are, the less experienced you are. I think the harvesting or the quote unquote success is a big part of it. But but trying to get the people into you know take the time and look around you, right? On um, watch the dogs. You know, watch if a deer comes by and and doesn't come to where you're where you wanted them to. Like, why were they? Why did that deer stay where it was? Or you know, read the body language and and then, you know, also like take time to stop and laugh at your buddies, you know, and you brought it up about, about you know, it's not, you know, I, I want it to be you building these communities. And, and you see that because I remember, you know, being 16 and I had a grandpa and a dad who, you know, were avid hunters. And I remember being about 16 and going, yeah, it's good to hunt with my dad, and it's good to go out and fish with my grandpa, but I want to do it with my buddies who have these similar, you know, the similar experiences, because that's what my dad did, and that's what my grandpa did, you know, they had the group of guys and and people that they did that with, and, you know, part of it, I was included, but they also had other people, so building that community and building it so you go out and do it, even though hunting is, is sort of a solo solitary thing it really isn't you still have to have a community whether it's a support community whether it's a god i got an elk down somebody's got to come help me or you're going on a duck hunt and you got three guys and a and you know three people and a thing of decoys you know you have the support but you also want to share some of those experiences with it so i think that like you're dead on with with that building that community and that support
2: i always tell people too in the conversation is try not to tell them this is the way it is all the time like when we see things happen in nature it's like because they ask questions of well are the deer going to want to move today because it's cold it's like depends my answer for everything is depends and then we go into this conversation and i i've i I push that onto my mentors as well as don't be just a storyteller of your experiences don't just say this is what happens all the time Dude, we're dealing with a wild animal here. It does right. something different every time. And that's why we go out to do that because we see the owls in the trees, the owl that sits next to us in the tree. We see this thing that we've never seen before. We right. heard this noise that is like a bobcat making its screech and thing like blows your mind every time yep. if you, you could do this for your lifetime and you'll hear something, see something new every time you go out there and have an experience that you weren't, you weren't expected to have. So that's what I was trying to share with people is I'm not giving you um, everything you need. You This is going to be a lifetime of learning and not everything is going to happen accordingly to what a textbook is going to say or what I'm going to say or a participant or a mentor is going to say. It's going to happen differently every time and you're going to go out and fail. And that's one, right. one of the reasons why, why I bow hunt. I go out and fail and it's taught me to be a a better hunter i'm not right i wouldn't even say i'm a good hunter just a better right. better hunter every time you go out yeah and i think that's like you hit it on the head it's it's different every time right
1: it, it's not there is no you can use the playbook but uh, i was just out ice fishing this last weekend and i sent a picture of some fish you know some walleye to a bunch of my friends and they're like man you're really good at this and i said i don't send you the pictures when i don't catch fish and that's <laughs> you know seven out of 10 times when I'm walleye fishing on the river, I'm not going to send you a picture because there's nothing other than maybe a sunset or a, or a, you know, a bush light can, as I'm, you know, walking off the ice or whatever, you know, it's, it's those other times, you know, you don't put that on Facebook, right? Oh, I went out today and didn't catch anything again. You know, you, you share when you're successful, but that's not necessarily the point. It's yeah. going out and spending the time. The people who are ultimately really "quote unquote" successful are the people who put in all the time, right? And as you get older and and on your journey to being an angler or and or a or a hunter like you and I, it, it's it's less about that harvest and more about those things that are go into it and the things that happen when you're out there, like you said. And it's but it's kind of hard to get there, right? Oh
2: yeah, the barriers are pretty pretty tough and that's why we we focus on those those adults and every and the whole family because we take a kid and they learn to or they go and have a great experience but if dad doesn't have those tools or mom doesn't have those tools right you're still stuck and and if you didn't get raised in a family where you started hunting when you were 12 years old here in south dakota uh you're kind of stuck and you're like i don't know how to buy that gun i don't know how to my regulations. I don't even know where to go to find the regulations. Right. <laughs> so we're starting sometimes uh, right at zero.
1: Right. Or even, you know, it might even be less than zero. And um, a couple of years ago, my daughter and my wife went to a fly tying class, like a series of classes with, with some people here in Pier Buddy signer and a few of the other folks. And they tied a bunch of flies and gave them to me for Christmas. Well, I've never... I would never fly fish like I'll take ultralight gear and a casting bobber and fireflies and catch bluegills with my daughter all day long. And she went to this fly tying class. She won a, a fly rod a few years ago at a different class and then she tied all these flies and I'm like, you know what? I, I want to learn how to. How to use a fly rod. Uh, I, I think I know how to read the water. I've got a little bit of that, but I refuse to go take a class. I mean I was just like I'm 45 years old I'm not going to do this this is mortifying this is embarrassing I can't believe I don't have this skill yeah. I made her go take the class and then she taught me and then when I was out I was out fly fishing for white bass and and one of the one of our employees who I know very well was like came by and he's like oh yeah and he goes man you got a big flaw in your casting and I said what am I doing wrong but even then I was ashamed, dude. I mean, I was like, oh my yeah. God, I've I've failed as an outdoorsman because I didn't know every skill, right? Yeah. I grew up in northeast South Dakota. What the heck would I do with a fly rod when I was twelve? You know, I was so I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think it's sometimes it's you're below ground zero, right? Just to get the courage to go do it in the first place.
2: And and I would say some of that pride piece ends up in us males oh. <laughs> who, who who started, <laughs> who have that For background. Sure. And right. if there's any advice I'd give anyone, it's just to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. Right? Be open to to learning something new. And I loved my class last night on Ice Fishing 101. I brought in the guys that Know Stuff. And the guy that taught me how to dark house spear, you're talking right now. I'm not. I need right. to learn from you. Our, right. our Scott Olson, one of our volunteers, right. brought him in. You talk ice fishing, I stuff's over my head, (laughs) right? So it's, it's great to have those, those people. And I just have that mindset of, I got a lot to learn. There's always more tactics I can learn. There's, I can always be a better shot. And one of those areas is like, I feel confident in my bow hunting. I feel confident in my archery shooting and my style. But if there's a trick that makes me more steady, settle my pain a little bit better, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen. And right. I encourage people to do the same because you got we're not all masters. I mean right. I don't know anyone here that's got a gold medal in our <laughs> or uh, sitting on a bunch of world record, whatever. So um, there's always something we can learn.
1: Right. So so we talked a little bit about the 101s. Give me give me a breakdown of everything you're offering, kind of the timeline, and then how can people find you and the, if they're out in the hills, how can they get involved?
2: Right, so um, there's supported hunts going on throughout the state uh hunting one o one is pretty specific to Rapid City as well as Sioux Falls uh at the outdoor campus there in May or June, we start to advertise may we start to advertise for hunting one o one and bow hunting one o one uh and we start those those programs July and August, and we try to have. Uh, Range days and all that classroom stuff and field stuff all done by the end of August uh, because any of those hunters that are hunting um, can start hunting September 11th or 10th, depending on the year, because they're eligible for a apprentice tag. And that's who I'm really looking for. Anyone who's never had a tag in South Dakota or hasn't had one in the last 10 years. uh, And so they're eligible to hunt during that that large portion of time uh, for a white tailed doe is typically what we're we're looking for Uh, so that those hunts run from September to December. Uh, We will start our waterfowl 101. We did that start November um, with hunts in over on this side. We do them later, December and January uh, because we need some stuff frozen up. So those all ducks dive into the rivers, right? Um, And then we start our ice fishing 101. We started that a little late this year. I'm going to do it a little sooner, get things rolling in December. Uh, and then fishing 101 and fly fishing 101 haven't really developed been developed yet, but they will. And I want to focus those on uh, doing those in the spring when we got a little bit better fishing going on. And the ways to stay connected with us and those programs here: one, our social media, the Outdoor Campus Facebook and Instagram, and uh, the main Gamefish Parks. Uh, social media shares those things out as well. Uh, but also there is a newsletter that we send out, uh, that our volunteer coordinator does an amazing job mm-hmm. with. Uh, and you can sign up for that newsletter right on the outdoor campus page. Um, and then see the listings of those programs. You can, you can click to register, uh, for those on, uh, our website there and, uh, see what's available. So I, you can also. Email me. I got people that are like, oh, I want to I want to do that next year. So you can email me at clint.whitley at state.sd.us. And uh, I print those emails or I save those emails and put them in a folder and I contact you in May or June and say, hey, you said you were interested. You want to. You want to sign up, and we go from there. So sometimes I don't even have to advertise because I got <laughs> people that reach out already and say I want to do this. I'm like, well, I bet. can't advertise because I got one spot. <laughs> right, exactly. So. That's good stuff, man. And and I encourage anybody out
1: there, you know, in in the hills or western South Dakota or anywhere, wherever you're at, if you're looking for like God, I might want to try that, you know, get a hold of me or or one of our our. Our campus staff on either side of the state, or our education staff and peer, or hell, even grab a CEO or somebody that you know. If you know anybody uh, that's in Game Fish, stop by an office and 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 the door'll open. There's and I'm I'm not talking down to you know the 16 years ago when I started or when you know you were an intern back in in Sioux Falls. We've come a long ways with with having more of these opportunities to really dig down and get really, really good experiences and, and, and controlled experiences and the education to go out. We've come so far, and I even forget about it. You know, I, I kind of forgot about, even though I I helped teach the 101 fishing and I hosted two of the 101 huntings, I forget that they're going on when I'm not involved with them, Right. You know, you said you're like the ice fishing one, you're even going to build rods. I'm like, heck, I want to build rods. I want (laughs) to learn how to build rods, right? So we've come so far, but I just, I mean, I encourage folks if if you're out there and even if you know, you know, for me, it's, God, I want to mentor all these people. And I offer to take people ice fishing all the time, but there's only so many me's and so many you's, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can't always do it. So if you've got somebody that, "Ah, you know, I just haven't been able to connect with them and I know they'd like this. You know, let them know and and let them listen to part of this podcast, or have them give one of us a call or an email, and and you know get that door going because it is about bringing more people in and, and new people in, but also building that community. So
2: and I'll share it's a it's a pretty darn safe environment. Uh, yes, we've got some highly trained people with experience. We are we are being safe about it. Yes, with the firearms piece, but safe in the in the comfort level. Of coming yep. into this this community um i've taught anyone from a past vegan uh to nope she was just vegetarian uh past vegetarian yeah. uh to now she was elbow deep gutting her own deer right um, To so they're single women college college kids girls girls and guys there's a lot of women in the program they some of them ditch their husbands at home and run and they want to to learn from somebody else which I'll do the same thing with my wife. So yep. <laughs> that's the best way to teach your wife something or your spouse something is yep. have someone else do it. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty darn safe environment to have those those uh um those barriers out of the way. We're we're not shoving stories down your throat, we're not shoving this is how you do it down your throat. Um uh, I don't make anyone pull the trigger. It is right, their right. decision. And we discussed that before. It's like you don't want to shoot that? You don't have to uh i i've harvested plenty of six to eight month old does in that late season um but if they don't want to they don't have to that's up right. to them and and they can pass and shoot on to the next one so it's a safe environment yeah that's
1: cool stuff but uh encourage anybody out there man reach out to clint or any of our our education staff and stuff and, and if you're thinking about it or you know somebody hey let's get in contact this is good stuff man i i'm i'm glad that uh we were clint and i were actually working on another project and we started talking about the hunting 101 or fishing 101 and i went hold on hold on we got i gotta get you on the podcast so thanks for taking the time dude i appreciate the heck out
2: of it you bet no problem good stuff dude i've been
0: just best bow without saying how me Just best by
1: to me yeah. okay. Uh via Zoom, because I think he's shoveled out, but probably busy uh with a bunch of other stuff, is Day County Conservation Officer Austin Norton. Austin, how are we doing today, bud?
3: Doing good, doing really good. We we are shoveled out up here and uh we've got a lot of fishing going on. We did not see the amount of snow that you guys did down in the southern, southeastern portion and and central part of the state. We we're very lucky so far.
1: Yeah, I was was up there over New Year's and, you know, pier got drilled, kind of got that first big storm like you guys got and um, up there over New Year's and the fish were biting in pier and I was getting around pretty good and then went up there and went, oh yeah, there's a little bit of, this is more of a typical northeast South Dakota winter, but uh, I think everybody was glad that, that, that last storm missed us and, you know, not, not to, you know, try to pick a fight with our brethren from Sioux Falls and, in Southern South Dakota, but I don't think we needed too much more.
3: No, no, we, I'm glad it missed us up here. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed you didn't call if you were up here. Ah, we were, I was kind of just hanging out with the
1: family and assistant. It was my uh, aunt and uncle's 50th wedding anniversary and we were just kind of hanging out, watching football and, um. I was, I had plans to go fishing and some of my buddies were kind of like, you're crazy. We're not going to go out and do that. But it it looked about to be about where Northeast South Dakota normally (laughs) is for snow this time of year.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We've, you know, in day County, uh, mobility is still pretty good on most of the lakes. Once you get on the body of water, it's at the shorelines, at the accesses where things can get a little hairy still, but Generally speaking, if you have rangers, four wheelers, uh, vehicles, you can get around. It's a little bit tougher though if you're going to try and pull an ice castle out on some of these lakes, just because there is a little bit of snow. And once you're typically your ice castle tires are a little bit wider than your vehicle tires, and right, and uh, kind of drags you down a little bit. So if you're going to go out there, make sure you got a shovel with you. Make sure if you got a buddy that's coming out that they got a tow rope too, because that'll be huge help. Yeah. Do you let Let's talk about. You know, when I think when
1: most of the most people think of game wardens and COs, they're thinking of, you know, well, they're they're checking me, you know, in my boat or they're checking me, you know, during pheasant season or deer season. What's a what's a winter like for y- your crew up in up in that
3: northeast? What are you doing on a typical week or day? So, as you said, we you, they typically they think we're checking them and that's all we do. Right. Well, that is about as far from the truth as possible. And. <laughs> a winter time i know when i first started in this career over 10 years ago i thought you know winter time is going to be my slow time no i was wrong winter time is one of my busiest times we don't have a slow time anymore just based off of the amount of resource and resource users that are out there there's so much opportunity so typically in a winter time uh we do spend a lot of time checking ice anglers uh whether it's for uh, conducting license inspections uh, looking f- at fish and counting them and just just general uh contacts like that but we also do other things and a big thing like uh that would that it would be would be like walking area contracts so up here in region 4 uh officers each have their counties and the associated walking area contracts with those counties and it's our responsibility to go through those contracts and make sure that uh everything was upheld as far as it was anything hater grazed or any other uh, issues that happened. so that is a a big part of what we do in the winter time. Uh, they mm-hmm. set deadlines for us, and we we try to meet those deadlines and uh, <laughs> and go from there. So it's it's kind of a unique year for me and my partner Calvin here, also in Day County. Uh, we're we're down two officers uh, in my squad, so my squad is Clark, Day, Marshall, and Roberts County, and both Marshall and Roberts Counties currently are. Uh, Vacant. There is no uh, field wardens there. So, myself and another officer are picking up the slack in Roberts County, and then Calvin and our supervisor are picking up uh, the workload in Marshall County. So, I've got to make a few more contacts on my walking area checklist this year. Right,
1: right. And and uh, anybody who knows that that northeast corner, there's there's uh, a some pretty big chunks of of public ground up there, and and. Um, there's some, there's a ton of contracts. Does that, does that tie into like the CREP contracts too, Austin, like in,
3: in, or, or not? So the the simple answer is no. The CREP sure. contracts are handled through the FSA and right. other partnering right. offices. However, uh, a CREP contract still does include walk-in area in it. So it's something similar. Just the biggest difference is going to be which office is administering it and sure. the payment. Sure. What about emergency
1: calls and stuff this time of year? I mean, it, it, anybody who's who's a ice angler and and if you're on social media and you follow all the, you know, all the pages of fishing and hunting in South Dakota and stuff, man, there's people getting stuck in middle of the night. They're having emergencies and stuff. Do, do those run through you? And how often do you have to go out and try to find somebody that's stuck out on the ice in the middle of the night or anything like that?
3: You know, so far, uh, as far as those types of calls go this year, it's been pretty minimal. Um, unfortunately, there was a, a tragic accident that did mm-hmm. occur up here on Bitter Lake uh, earlier on in the season in December. And, and you know, through the process of trying to locate the the individual, we were able to do that and, and bring closure to the family, but it was not the the ending that we were hoping for so mm-hmm. it is it is a big part of my job to be on search and rescues and search and recoveries and and yes we've had one this year an unfortunate one but other than that it's it's been a a quiet year as far as people getting stranded on the ice and blizzards or other snowstorms like that sure do you see you know it,
1: I loved ice fish. I would quit doing everything. If my dogs could figure out how to ice fish, I'd quit hunting. I I, I always have, um, you know, and, and it went from the homemade three pieces of plywood and the blue tarp kind of shacks and, and Mr. Heater, Mr. Cooker, cookers and, and, you know, rods with no reels and stuff and, and dragging them out or trying to put them on a three wheeler and stuff. It, the technology on, on ice fishing is just, is it has amazed me how far it's come in the last even 10-15 years do you see that demand you know that opportunity it, it seems to me like man w- we get any ice cover at all people are are clamoring to get out there where it it seemed like we always started a little later do you see that or is that just my old brain kind of overthinking stuff
3: no you're 100 percent right it's i almost think every year there's a challenge. It's not one that's spoken to anybody, but the challenge is who can be on the ice first. Right. And, and that, that I truly believe is the scenario that actually happens up here. And when you hear who the first person was on the ice uh, you're like, okay, well it's, it's happening. It's, it, people are going out fishing now. So we always encourage to use common sense uh, mm-hmm. when we are doing these type of outdoor activities. Uh, is it really worth falling through the ice or losing your equipment or anything like that for a fish? So, again, we we always want to encourage people to use common sense, but get out there and enjoy that resource. And and it's like you said, with technology nowadays, um, other accessories that that people are using, it's it's incredible. And and it's it's the chase, it's the thrill. That's what get people out there. Right, and you know I say that, but
1: growing up in Sistan, like i did you know bitter and and rush and wobbe and stuff didn't really exist and cattail kettle i mean those weren't there um and i remember the first year that that cattail and that that complex really filled in it was i think it was right after or or it was halloween and my cousin jay and i he had a deer stand just across from Fort Siston out where what's now is you know 15 20 feet of water and there was a pinch point there and we were like god when that freezes up you know we should go out there and one try to find the deer stand and two see if there's any fish there and i was young and dumb and jay is, was crazy so we went out and there was ice on there so we went home and drove all the way back to Siston, got uh cross country skis <laughs> and went out there with a spud bar and a, and a scoop of minnows. And, you know, it was the first year that cat sale was really full and we just caught a ton of perch sitting right at the pinch point by his, by his deer stand. The next day we went out there to do it again and it was all open again. So I just think of that and kind of (laughs) shake my head and go, yeah, I used to do that too, I guess, you know, but it is, it is amazing that the, the, advancements have really exploded ice fishing and, and where it used to be, even, you know, in the, in the eighties and nineties, it wasn't necessarily a niche sport, but it certainly wasn't as popular as it was today.
3: And, you know, there's, there's something to be said about all the technology. Is it great? Absolutely. Is it fun? Absolutely. But you don't need that technology to go out ice fishing. Right. You can still go out, and you can go old school and have a, a rod, a reel, and uh, hook and line and, and just start drilling holes. You know, it, yes. it can be done, and you can still catch fish without all of those extra things. So we never want to discourage anybody from going out just because they right. don't have a Vexlar or they don't don't have a live scope or whatever it may be. You can still go out, and you can still have a lot of fun.
1: Right. And, and it really is, you know, the ice fishing, the hot spots and the hot bites they're hard to keep secret. Um some people are really good at it, but I I find a lot of the people that I fish with and a lot of people I used to fish with are are kind of willing to share, you know, some of those spots to people who are really new. And it might not be, you know, the day you find them, but it and where it's really really crazy, like, "Oh my god, legendary days." But it might be a couple of days later where you go, "Hey, you, you know, you might want to take your kids out to you know this spot and you know the fishing is still really good so those the it's still kind of easy to do that you know because you're accessible and you can move around but there's still a lot plenty of people willing to share and without you know not knowing what you're doing and just going to pull up to the big edge of the fish city and start fishing there's still a lot of people out there who are kind of willing to share ideas and places and stuff
3: Absolutely. They are. I'm one of them. You know, oh, yeah, you, just you, gonna really ask can, you can really tug at my strings if you got to, if you're taking a kid out or somebody that's never done it before. I think that's, that's incredible. And there's not enough people out there that are actually doing that of, of taking the time to, to take a youth out or to take uh, a family. That's what people need to be doing is take the whole family because right. you can't always be there to take that, that kid out per se, um, you get that family involved, get mom and dad or their guardian involved, and that kid will more than likely, and adult will more than likely, go out fishing more so they don't have to rely on you. Right. Uh, I'm kind of going through that with my with my
1: daughter. You know, I took her out, and we, we would always make an adventure out of it. It wouldn't be an all-day thing. And now she's 14 and kind of has her own buddies, and they all – you know, they're girls and they all kind of like to hunt and fish. And the, and now it's, you know, hey, I'll take two or three out. And Charlie's kind of like, oh, I, I think I can do it by myself. And she's like, no, I want to go. You know, I don't yes. want to sit at home and do chores. I'm going to. So, um, yeah, it, it's certainly, you know, if you if you could take those. Take the family out and and give the folks, give the parents or guardian or whoever a little bit of that. Oh, this isn't that hard kind of moment. And oh, my God, these kids really like this um it it goes a long ways man
3: it does and it gets gets them away from technology you know just having your 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 head in the phone all day or playing the video games or whatever it it's it's taking them back to you know the roots like this is what uh people did for for food back in the days this is how they survived and and that's okay this is this is a good thing it's a healthy thing to be out here doing these things being active and being outdoors are just that they're the next generation and they're we've got to get them involved and hopefully they can take the torch from there right all right i'm going
1: to shift gears on you and everybody who's listening i'm throwing austin a big curveball here usually i give folks a few questions but we're flying straight off the cuff because i had him on on the line for something else but so you live in webster and um me being a northeast guy and i live in pier and we have great opportunities here in pier and and i i love it here but i always think that that corner of south dakota is probably has more opportunities and more cool things to do outdoors than anywhere what's your favorite thing to do you got a day off it could be any any time of the year and you're gonna go take off and and go be outside doing something what's your favorite
3: favorite thing to do is ice fish uh my wife and i have a ice castle nice. and when the uh the ice gets safe enough, uh, in my opinion, um, we'll, we'll take that out and we'll spend a couple of days on the ice. And it's, it's kind of my release. That's how I get to relax. I get to spend time with my wife. She loves to read books. So I'm fishing. She's reading a book. Uh, we're both in, both in heaven, you know, and, and we take our dog Odin with us and he's just having a blast on the ice. So that's, that's my favorite thing. My favorite thing to do is just, just go out and relax and, and, uh, take a break from people, you know, it's, right. uh I spend all day, every day talking to people, whether it's conducting inspections or giving a speech or, uh, or whatever. Um, it's, it's kind of a break. I just get to relax. Right. Shut your brain off a little bit. That's tough for me to do. I know it's hard to believe, <laughs> but, uh, yes, it, it, it's very relaxing to me and, and, uh, we both very much enjoy it. And, and, you know, is my wife a huge outdoor person? No, but she still comes and and, uh, enjoys that time with me, which I, which I really appreciate. Right. Yeah. It's my wife's from Philip, and and she'd never ice fished and she,
1: it's taken me a long time to get her over the, like the fear of the ice. And, you know, a lot of that I think is even me telling stories from my wilder days, you know, and I put a pickup through once and and I helped cut an ice shack off the bottom of the lake one time at Buffalo Lake. Uh, in fact, I think the trailers might still be there, but, um, you know, when she goes out and does it, and especially if we go out as a family, I mean, she loves it and she's good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's one of those things where I really got to go, hey, today's going to be good. And they'll, yeah, okay. No, you guys, today, I think, I I think we we found them. Today's going to be really good. We should go, you know, and then we all go and, and inevitably it's, wow, that was, you know, that was a ton of fun. And, you know, I'm cleaning fish and they're getting stuff ready. And, we're having a fish fry for our friends and stuff and it'll always be i should do that more often and i just look at her and go yeah yeah you should you know so
3: yeah i'm, absolutely. I'm with you on that she uh my wife will will throw me under the bus she's from minnesota so if i do not keep a northern pike if i catch one or if she catches one eh, there's going to be there's going to be some uh, words exchanged from her <laughs> to me so she loves it when we can keep northern uh she just enjoys that. It's what she did growing up with her, yeah. her dad. She did fishing. And, and I can think of a few times where, you know, we, we threw the Northerns back and she kind of gave me the look like, <laughs> what, what just happened there, you know? And, and right. so it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's very enjoyable and uh, it it's just great.
1: Yeah. You, you primarily stick into those bigger lakes or you got secret spots that you're dragging that castle out. Do you have to repaint your ice castle every spring? <laughs> so nobody knows who you are.
3: <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing is, is on a on a year like this, yes, I have to stick to the bigger lakes just because of access. But right. on those years that we have open winters, you know, the amount of ice castle traffic that we see up here, whether it's on a, a slough or Bitter Wah Bay or any of our bigger lakes is incredible. If there is minimal snow, we just see a major influx of these ice castles everywhere. And it's People enjoy it. It's almost becoming tradition for them to to make trips out during the year on certain days or certain times, right. and go from there. And the one thing that on on my way back
1: home, uh, from from uh, New Year's Eve, the one thing that I I never thought I'd see in Northeast South Dakota, and I don't know why, is the snow bears, and that just blows me away. The, you know, we came through, and I look over at Rush Lake, and there's a snow bear, and I'm like, what in the heck, you know?
3: So. There's, there's snow bears everywhere. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, there's, there's a prominent uh, uh, show of guides up here. Um, very There's a lot of guide services that are, are working, and they operate mostly out of them snow bears, and there's also a lot of you know private individuals that have invested their money into these snow bears so they can be not only comfortable while fishing but mobile. right uh, Is it a great tool? Absolutely. Is it worth more than my house? Probably so. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be on my uh, my purchase list here in the next year or two. Let's just put it that way.
1: Yeah, me too. One of my one of my buddies here in Pier that I fish with a lot, he sent me a picture of a snow bear, and it was a used one. We should buy this. I said, what are we going to do with that in Pier? I'm going to live in it because my wife is going to leave me. You know? Exactly. So, yep. But it is it is fascinating that you know uh, one of the guys that that sells those. I know he's from Sistan, Good kid. And I just went, ah, that, you know, that's kind of a niche thing that'll never take off. And then all of a sudden it's just like, holy smokes, this kid's selling more snow bears than anybody in the country. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's really, really taken off.
3: Snow bears and ice castles. They're the same yep. thing with our ice castle. It's it's a dual purpose. We, we right. camp a lot in the summer and we fish. We try to fish a lot in the wintertime. So, you know, it's an investment. Don't get me wrong. But... I would rather have an ice castle just simply because I can camp out of it and ice fish out yep. of it. I'm paying insurance on one one piece of equipment, and right. I only have to store one piece of equipment. So they're right. they're great. They're awesome. They're they're actually yeah. starting to show up even more in our state park systems in the summertime. Yeah. yeah, we uh, my my aunt and uncle have one, and
1: we have a cabin up on Clear, and we they keep it behind the cabin, and and when we have a ton of people coming, we use that thing all the time. You know, and, and as overflow camping or overflow cabin area and it, it they're so nice and and you know it's come a long ways from the old sleeper cabins that sleeper shacks even you know that i i still think of up on like lake of the woods where it was just a bench with a mm. little bit of foam on it you know and cold and man they're nice and and in the summer they're just they're absolutely as usable and 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 nice and spacious so yeah that's good stuff
3: it is absolutely
1: so you you're kind of a veteran and and you're a you're an, you're probably one of the most upbeat outgoing guys I know that worked for the department. Um,
3: you've had to run not, into not some tell, better not tell Secretary Robling that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he's 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 probably numero uno for sure. But there you go. <laughs> he um, you've had to have some some interesting stories, fun stories, anything like that. You know, maybe anything pops into your mind like even a career highlight or something that that you know just sticks out when you're when you're kind of driving and putting on the miles you think about and smile or cringe or laugh or anything coming to mind
3: you know uh there was a a deer case here uh, a couple years ago that uh had the, i guess opportunity to 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 make and it's kind of like those things that you see in the movies when when you're sitting at a location uh during deer season and uh you know a violation happens right in front of you like a bla- <laughs> a blatant violation you're right. you're in your marked patrol vehicle just sitting there and it just boom it happens right in front of you and and I've had that uh I had that happen a couple of years ago where um uh, an individual during uh or individuals during uh, deer hunting season you know uh, ended up shooting from the roadway at deer and when you go through the process of those types of investigations, how things can snowball and uh and that they did, and things snowballed into to other uh big game violations and and other uh charges that were filed and and uh ultimately we were we were able to make a really solid case on those hunters and educate them you know it's there's a right way and a wrong way to do these things. And, and uh, they're on the right way. Now they're on the right path. They learn from their mistakes. And, and uh, it's, it it was just one of those instances, or I've had it twice now in my career over 10 years that uh, just a violation like that happens right in front of you. And and you're thinking, how did they not see me? (laughs) I'm sitting right here, you know, and I stick out plain as day and, and it it, it, you know, wildlife and, hunting and, and activities like that, you know, people, uh, people do strange things. Right. You know,
1: I go, I always go back to when I was a kid, Doug Jones was our game warden when I was young and, and he, you know, he still, I don't know if he still flies for us or not. He might be retired, but he would always, there was a little cafe, Melvin's Cafe, insistent. And in the spring when the, when the, you know, bullheads, it started with bullheads and then it went to, we called them silver bass when they were, start biting on Travers, if you were there on Saturday morning, he would throw you in the back of his brown truck, like four or five of us in the, in the back of his, his brown truck. And he'd have all the rods and bait and stuff. And he'd take you down for a couple hours and then bring you back and drop you off at Melvin's cafe. And first of all, I can't imagine getting away with that these days. I mean, we'd all be (laughs) written up and in trouble and probably lose our jobs. Um, but he always went out of his way to, you know, hey, you know, I heard the Northerns were biting on the, you know, at the spillway at Red Iron or, you know, always like kind of took that time. And, and because of that, you know, I got older and you get a truck and and you get a shotgun and you get a rifle and, and you know, you're, you got a lot more time than you got brains. And, you know, you think about doing dumb things. And that was always in the back of my mind is like, man, I don't want to I don't want to upset Doug, you know, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to upset my dad, but Doug always, you know, he did that. He was our game warden. And, and in a small town, you know, it, it's got to be a little bit difficult because some of these cases that you're making against people might live right next to you. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, what? The, the big thing that I, I try to tell people is I'm a game warden. Yes, I'm also a human being. I'm not right. perfect. You know, what? I, I, I it does not bother me one bit to tell somebody I'm not perfect and I've made mistakes. So people look at you as the game warden or this person that, you know, is, is separate from all the rest. We're not, we're human beings. We're just like you. We're no different. And that's, that's how I like to be treated. I I'm I'm no better or no worse than anybody else. And that's, that's sometimes hard to, to get across to some people. And then that's, that's just the way it is, but that's how I look at it.
1: Yeah. And you know, I I think across the board, it, it, it's not only game wardens but specifically CO's game wardens but you're kind of involved like you guys and gals are involved in the community I remember talking to one CO and he's retired now but he was a, a a football coach and one night he came upon his some of his players were spotlighting raccoons you know and okay now what you know yep. um so those are the things you got to deal with, especially when you live in a town, you know, the size of Webster where everybody not only knows everybody, but you're probably married to a cousin or, a, you know, somebody's cousin or, sure. you, you know, you you drink a beer and, you you know, whatever, you know, everybody.
3: So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're very accurate. And and, you know, I definitely am part of my community in, in different ways. Uh, my wife's a school counselor. So, you know, she's in the school system and and we know people obviously through that. Um, But also uh, part of our we have a friendship club uh, with Germany, a friendship sister over there, our sister city. And and so we're we're running that with another family here in town. And, you know, we're sending our American students over there for uh, an experience and they're sending uh, their German students over here for uh, an experience as well. And and so you're you're connected to a lot of people uh, throughout the community, whether it's on a first name basis or or I, hey, I recognize that person, but I can't remember what their name is. But yeah, it's being, being, uh, the game warden or the game warden, uh, you, you're, you're connected to everybody, whether, whether you like to or not, it's the way it is. (laughs) Right.
1: Good stuff. Well, what else did I miss, man?
3: Gosh, I, uh, I think you hit the head on the, hit the head on the nail there. It's been a while since I've been, uh, on a conversation with you like this,
1: right? I know. Hey, what's you know? I'm already get starting to get questions and in for us in Pierre. You know, we we usually our winters usually aren't this long, right? We usually don't get those big snows, and and we've got a lot less snow than we had. And like you said, you know, um, you know, probably about an average amount of snow for an average year, and and you can get around a little bit and stuff, um getting a lot of questions already about winter kill and what the conditions of those water conditions were like even going into, Mm -hmm. um, winter. Um, I know they're they're probably a little lower, but I know like our cabin on clear, I think the water came up over the year, you know, from last year to, you know, this summer, what do you see in there? And, and any concerns that you've been talking about or anything like that? So where we sit right
3: now, I, I don't have any concerns, uh, Yes, we've got a good amount of ice. We've got decent amount of snow on the lake, but we've had plenty worse years uh, and did not have any winter killer fish die off. So at this point, no, I, I'm not concerned about anything. Can that change? Can the winter go uh, get a little bit harsher with temperatures and, and things? Yeah. Can right. we get a lot more snow? Absolutely. But as things sit right now, I think we're doing pretty good. Um, Bitter Lake, you know, is still high. But it's mm-hmm. lower than it was last year, right? So we're still we're still in a fluctuation point with Bitter Lake, uh, primarily is one that I think about that that really comes to mind. But you know, there are some sloughs out there that I have fished last year, the year before, that were two, three feet higher, and you can see that on the dead right. trees, um, how much that is actually down from this last summer. So even even on them, though, I, I think we're sitting quite well still, and I guess we'll we'll know more uh, this spring. Yeah. Cool. What about,
1: uh, I'm I'm all over the board here, and, and <laughs> I, I guess I usually am. Let's talk about like tips calls and, and things from the public. How many of those do you handle in a given year? Like, just like, is it pretty often that you're getting those or?
3: So it, it depends on what uh, activity is going on, like time of right. year. So if we talk about deer hunting season or any of the hunting seasons, I would say that's probably the peak time of year uh, of my tips calls. And when, when we're in the middle of deer season, uh, pheasant season, waterfall season, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to handle. Uh, We get a lot of calls, um, not just tips calls, but also general calls to our cell phones. Sure. And so we, we're we're kept busy with, with all those calls and, and questions and whatnot, but, for the most part, um, if somebody provides us with some really good information on those tips calls, we're we're able to make some solid cases. And and during the ice fishing season season, um, we get calls. It's pretty mediocre at best, I'd say. They're not like mm-hmm. coming in every day or anything like that. But we do receive calls. And then during the summertime, we do get quite a bit of tips calls as well for those those summer fishermen as far as double dipping. Um, sure. it's a huge, it's a huge problem up here in the Northeast. We have a phenomenal resource, uh, of walleye, perch, northern, white bass, all these different fish. And people still seem to, seem to have the need to, to double dip or overbag.
2: And, sure,
3: sure. uh, I'm here to tell you, it's not worth it. Um, when we get this information from people, uh, when we go through the interview process with, uh, the suspects and, and whatnot and, and what, these types of individuals don't know or understand is there's always somebody watching. And it's, it's not me typically, it's the public. So I always, I just always tell people, keep that in the back of your mind. If you're, if you're thinking about going to, about doing something like that, just remember there's, there's somebody watching and you don't know it.
1: Right. And, and kind of where I was going with that is I I get, I, I had a pretty good conversation over the Christmas holiday about, the tips line and and you know how how often is that really used and how solid of cases you know can they make off of you know somebody you know seeing somebody come out of a fish house and go back to shore and go to town and then come back out and i went you know i don't know but i think it's you know it, it's a pretty standard program across the country so it, it it must be effective right it is
3: it's it's effective and you know, the best information that you can give us on any type of incident that you're seeing is a license plate. We can do a lot of things off of a license plate or a vehicle description or an ice castle description if it's out on the ice. Um, so you get those types of details for us and, uh, and kind of let us know what, what you observed. You know, we, we can, we can do a lot and we will certainly investigate it to the best that we can. And we're, we're paying. If we can get a solid tips case made and you know get that adjudicated, we're paying. We got money to spend from the tips program. So they're, sure. the the public is our eyes and ears. I will, I say it all the time. I can't do my job without them. And when people call me with with tips, uh, there's there's a good reward in it for them.
1: And and anonymous too, right? I mean, they don't have to get their name in there. So if it's their, you know, oh my God, I saw my school principal, you know take 11 northerns out of rush i don't want him to know but you know that kind of thing your name doesn't have to
3: be in it at all right correct we will do everything we in our power to protect uh your identity um i've i've even gone as far as uh you know having cases where i said i'd keep them anonymous and i did and they wanted to bring the name of my uh i guess correspondent out in court and and we dropped the case it's it's not worth it for me to to uh right. to lose uh somebody that's willing to give me that type of information just to make a case their their identity their relationship with me is way more important so uh, we'll do everything in our power to to keep you out of it and sometimes yeah. people don't care they said bring me in I want to <laughs> be a part of this right on <laughs> so so it's like all right you know we'll
1: we'll move forward right on so you got a um, couple months of winter yet uh good good ice fishing hopefully we can keep you know i i think your area most most folks are okay with water and water levels and and you know not in drought you know get west of pier she's getting pretty dry and yep. so they were glad to see those big chunks of snow what when you're gearing up for spring what do you what does that change to? like you know like maybe the ice is going off then you're looking at you know, you're out there doing landowner contacts and stuff with walk-ins and maybe some depredation stuff and doing that stuff. But then are you getting really geared up for fishing season and 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 doing that? Or do you have some turkey stuff that you got to do or deer counts? What else you got going on kind of maybe outside of what, what people would normally think of a game warden doing?
3: So the springtime for us is actually a, a very – important time for us simply because that's when we start doing our annual trainings for the year. Uh, so every spring uh, we we conduct uh, firearms training and boating enforcement training. Um, and that's primarily for the boating enforcement training is, you know, these officers have gone six, seven months without being on the body of water in their boat. So we need to refresh those uh, skills that they already have and, you know, cover uh, a lot of different aspects of it. You know, this year, I'm hoping, uh, when we have our instructor meetings here pretty soon, I'm, I'm hoping that our training this year is going to involve, uh, real world, uh, scenarios where we're actually in a swimming pool. Um, it's not out of the realm for somebody to tackle us off of a dock or tackle us out of our boat or something right. like that to happen. And, and we as officers need to be prepared and know what that feeling is like. Uh, with all of our duty gear on. We we have a lot of equipment on and we weigh a lot uh, in those situations. So with all of our new officers, we do that. That's a standard training. It's called WEPOC. And uh, they get to experience the, the swimming pool with, with their duty belt on, their, their load-bearing vest and all that stuff. And, and they, they work through it. They fight through it so that they know that when it happens in the field, in real life, they can do it. So we we focus on stuff like that that we train on. And then also a, a huge part of our refresher training every year is uh, boating under the influence and and reviewing the seated field sobriety tests. And boating under the influence is, a, is an issue in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, individuals uh, don't realize or understand that on a 95-degree day, 30-mile-an-hour, 20-mile-an-hour winds, they're out, out in the boat all day drinking and having a good time how much that alcohol affects them to where they cannot safely and legally operate that boat. So that's a huge part of our, our trainings in the springtime as far as boating goes of getting our officers back up to speed on how to administer those tests and uh, how to uh, interpret them and uh, provide the uh, state's attorney with a, with a solid case. Cause Uh, Our ultimate goal is to make sure that people are having fun on the water and that they're safe on the water. We want everybody to go home at the end of the day, including me. I don't want to be in in an accident out there with a drunk boater. So that's huge, huge amount of training with that. And then firearms. Uh, We we go through our annual firearms training. Uh, We've got to, by law, qualify with our pistol and uh, rifle, uh, whatever the standards are. I think it's once or twice a year. Uh, So we have to meet those standards by law. Ah, uh, to keep our our uh, our badge, I guess if you want to call it that, to be employed by the state. So, right. all of those things usually occur in that May timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it as an instructor for boating enforcement, I'm spending that month beforehand preparing uh, for our instruction and when and where and how we're going to conduct all this training. And then up until up until then, uh, we have the training. And then after that. You know, then we, we slide right into recreational boating for the summer, uh, right. conducting boat safety checks and license compliance checks, because we get a lot of people that are recreating and fishing at the same time.
1: Right. What what sort of qualifications, you know, this is kind of a little bit off subject, but, you know, pistol, rifle, it, walk me through that. I, like distances and what do you got to do?
3: Well, you got to hit the target. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Pistol, I believe the qualification is thirty-eight out of fifty rounds have to be within a a cone shape uh, basis or whatever on the, sure. the target that we're shooting, and that is from three yards all the way back to twenty-five yards. And there's different uh, amounts of times that we shoot at different yardages. Right. So as long as thirty-eight of the fifty are within that uh, cone shape, uh, you will pass. Uh, rifle is is very similar. I believe it's fifty rounds, and I believe uh, it's very similar to that of maybe forty-two out of fifty or some forty-three out of fifty that you have to have within again that that shape on sure. the target. And um, you know what? you you do that, and and you're checked off the list for that that qualification. And then we move on to to other types of training that we do. Sometimes nighttime training. You know, we're right. out a lot of times at night, and it's a whole different world at night than during the day.
1: Right. I I I'd be good with the rifle. I suck with a pistol. Man, I'd <laughs> need some work. My wife can shoot a pistol, but I I I'm terrible. I, so. it, it's
3: it's really a lot of fun actually. Uh we've got good, really good uh firearms instructors up here in this region. And
1: who are your firearms instructors up there?
3: So Blake Swanson out of Grant County. Right. right and Craig Hawes, Regional Conservation Officer Supervisor. Just had a birthday, fifty years old. Yes. I know. Fifty. If you guys didn't hear that, he's fifty. We just yeah. want to make that clear. <laughs> Millbank's
1: finest turned fifty today or yesterday. Yep. <laughs> uh
3: Nick Cochran out of Aberdeen. Right and on. then uh Calvin Meyer just actually got hired on to take uh, Dean Schultz's spot once since he retired. Cool. So good group of guys. They're knowledgeable and uh they're not afraid to, to challenge us.
1: Right. And and I know I, I got I think I think it was my first year, 16 years ago with GFP. I went down and uh, did a story on the the boating training and it was down in Yankton. And I got picked to be one of the BUI people, but I was only the decoy. So they <laughs> had to, I was actually sober, but acting drunk to see if they could pick out who was who. Yep. And I fooled a couple of people and I actually fooled a, like one of the old crafty veterans I kind of fooled and, he
3: was mad at me for probably about a year. <laughs> it's good training. You know, we, we have to, we have to hone our skills in and, uh, by doing those types of scenarios and trainings, it, it not only makes us a better officer, but it it's in the long run better for everybody. Right. And it's, you know, I, I, I think I've even
1: had this conversation with you, you know, we send our little baby game wardens, you know, I use that tongue in cheek and, and they go through all the training that, uh. Highway patrolmen or, a, you know, any law enforcement, they come to peer and they go through the, the academy and they do all that stuff. But our, our CEOs are in a in an interesting position because for a big chunk of the year, anytime you come across somebody, they have a gun. Absolutely. And you know, they have a gun. Right. Yep. And you're walking up and they probably got them out over their shoulder, you know. Yep. Um, So it it's it's just a little bit of a different situation. Right. I mean, it. it it probably takes some time to get to the point where you're approaching folks and you're comfortable, but yet at the same time you gotta be on your toes right
3: absolutely and we we don't want our officers getting complacent that's when right. when, when th- bad things happen when you get complacent so we're always i don't know we're instead of being a normal person that's always here we're here always right and so. You know, there's there's things that are crossing our mind, whether we're in a situation at work, (laughs) excuse me, or if I'm out for supper with my wife, she knows where I'm going to sit when I'm at a booth. You know, she knows what I want to do if I'm at a restaurant or how I'm going to position myself. It's just how we think. Um, Most people would probably call me crazy or think that that's not normal. But uh, to anybody in, in public service, especially in law enforcement, that's that's how we're wired. That's people know who you are in the community and and uh, that, that goes both ways. I know who people are in the community as well, and if it's somebody right. that I'm not comfortable with, I'm sure I'm sure going to have my eyes on them.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, that's interesting stuff. It's just that, you know, I can't remember, I think it, maybe it was even Emmett, that keezer, that, that had told me that the first time that, you know, our guys guys and gals are out there, and, and you're approaching folks that you know have guns, and it's probably multiple people in, in a lot of situations, especially in pheasant hunting and stuff, and And that really kind of struck a chord with me going, yeah, that's that's that could be
3: the hectic doing that 10 times a day for three months. Right. Absolutely. But but we set our we set our officers up for success, not for failure. So we we train how to handle these situations and to be comfortable in these situations. And, you know, a big part of our job is reading people. And if, if you're going into a situation and the hair on the back of your neck, standing up, there's a reason. Yeah. And that that's putting you on a different uh, heightened awareness level versus maybe a normal contact. You know how people are handling their firearms when you're approaching them. Are they doing it in a safe manner where, hey, this guy knows gun safety or gal knows gun safety. And and it's somebody that I, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable around versus the guy that or gal that might have a uh, have their uh, rifle or shotgun barrel resting on their boot. That to me is a sign. That's a that's an observation yep. I'm making. That maybe this individual is not comfortable handling firearms, or maybe was not taught how to handle firearms safely. So that makes a little bit more of a heightened awareness for me as to making sure that I know where that that barrel's pointed at all times in case he picks the gun up to to maybe hand it to me to check for a plug or something, and I want to make sure that barrel ain't pointed at me. I want it in a safe direction. Right. So there's right. there's a, there's a lot of things that go through our minds in every contact and every contact is a hundred percent different. They're, they're not the same different people, different type of game being hunted, different strategies that they're using to, to go after the game. Uh, So it's, it's very, very unique every time. Yeah. And it is funny
1: that those trainings are are pretty amazing. The stuff that the scenarios and, and everything. And and I always get invited and whenever I go, you guys want to tackle me. (laughs) <laughs> or shoot me with with pepper spray and and i've been tackled a few times i still haven't done the the pepper spray thing but probably one of these years i'll just show up and you guys can use me as the tackling dummy and the and uh and put me in handcuffs again i guess you know
3: <laughs> absolutely absolutely We'd love for you to come to our next <laughs> training i, hope, I know <laughs> i know
1: it's something about the communications people you guys always want to beat us beat up beat up <laughs> on us so yep Cool. Well, thanks for your time, buddy. This is interesting stuff and I do appreciate the heck out of it. So.
3: Absolutely. I uh, appreciate you reaching out to us and, you know, going forward, you know, up here in Northeast, South Dakota, if if anybody that's uh, listening to this or, or whatnot, you know, feel free to stop into our office. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a human being. I like to talk, you know, I, right. I I'm not all business. So if somebody wants to stop in and have coffee or or just chat and have a tour of of the the office or ask questions about what this fisheries office does up here you know stop in let's let's talk and let's uh let's have some fun
1: yeah they do some cool stuff up there uh you know ermer and the hatchery folks and stuff i've always kind of been jealous of that kind of you know being from where i am and, and liking what i like and kind of you in the same way it's just kind of they do some amazing stuff and I think there's some cool stuff coming down the pike with, with fisheries and hatcheries and, and, and probably, you know, creating more opportunities. So. Absolutely. That's next that's time, what next time I'm around. I want the coordinates to that fish house and the, and the key to the door and I'll just, I'll leave you a couple dozen minnows and a, and a, and <laughs> a pound pizza?
3: of tiger mate. <laughs> <and a pound laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. Well, sounds good. Thanks for having yeah. me, Chris. I appreciate yeah. it. good stuff
1: from clint and austin hope you enjoyed it um trying to think of deadlines and stuff that are coming up we got a game fisher parks commission meeting this week uh in january 12th 13th here in pier i encourage everybody to if you can't uh, phone in directly and you don't have any testimony or anything to give that a listen on sd uh, network sd.net or um we also i put it all up on our webpage. If you go to the commission page a couple days after the commission meetings, um, you can listen to specific pieces of those meetings. So you don't have to sit through the entire meeting. If you're just interested in, you know, a certain thing, give that a listen. There is uh, archery antelope and archery deer proposals that uh, would probably change the way those tags are allocated. And there's a lot of interest in that. Uh, Give people, uh, you know, sit Sit down, take a time to listen to that and read that up if you're an archer and you want to know how, what those discussions are. And if you got something to say, call into those meetings. They're going to have another meeting in March. We don't have a February meeting, uh, but we'll have another meeting in March. If you got something to say, if you got an opinion, um, you know, call in, uh, write in. Your opinions do go a long ways. Believe me, I, I deal, I've dealt with commission, GFP commission for 16 years and, and, uh, it's it's biology but it's also social science and people's opinions do matter um so encourage folks to listen in and uh if you got an opinion share it believe me it helps i'm trying to think of any other deadlines um paddlefish and turkey tags will be i think those deadlines are coming up or not the deadlines but uh the um openings are coming up fairly soon and i'll um check your emails for those, but I'll also talk about that in a little future episode and, uh, get out fish, get out recreate. We could still pheasant hunt. If there isn't a lot of snow in some of your areas or birds are congregated in some heavier cover and you can get out on a nice day, go give that a whack. Um, coyote hunting or trapping, it, getting a lot of more interest in, in predator hunting and predator trapping. So, um, that's cool it's a good option it's super popular around pier a lot of coyote hunters Uh, i get cold so i just sit in the fish house um that's about it though uh thanks for listening i appreciate it and be back with you in the next week or so i think we're going to talk about some public lands uh talk about maybe winter depredation with critters and feeding animals and uh whatever else you guys got uh for ideas Give me a shout chris.hull at state.sd.us uh give me a shout or just respond on on soundcloud on any ideas that you got and i'll try to make it happen thanks for listening i appreciate
0: it more than you know next afternoon back to my car lose more breath so day. Follow friends would jump more than my battery's dead